The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, our Father, we are so grateful for this moment. We ask, Lord God, in the words of my friend, Father Nick, that your word only be spoken and that your word only be heard. We love you, God, but we love you because you first loved us. We give you thanks for your mercy, your kindness, and your grace. It is in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ that we pray. And we as one heart, with one mind, say together, Amen. Good morning. I cannot um, express to you how nervous I am. And so, if you see me fumbling around, it is uh, because I am trying to get myself and my thoughts together. Um, I do want to say first, before I get started, um, giving honor to, to God and um, to Father Tony, uh, his great kindness for inviting me back. Uh, it is good to be back. And... I've decided that there must be something in the water here because everyone looks the same. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm about 10 or 15 pounds heavier. You know, I got this white stuff. It's, it's actually paint. I forgot to wash it out. Uh, in my beard. Um, uh, but everyone here looks the same. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for allowing me to come back and to be with you. I want us to take a look at our readings today, and I wanted to look at the Esther reading. The Esther reading is unique because it's not 
found very often in the lectionary. It happens about once every three years. So I just wanted to look at this text, you know, to think about it um, and to not be challenged with it. But, you know, this text challenged me. Um, Many of you know uh, Peter Gomes or knew Peter Gomes. Dr. Gomes says in his book, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, that we've mythologized these texts to a point to where we've taken the sting out of them. We have this perfectly formed theology that allows us not to have to engage the words of the text. Peter Machina says we should have now an 11th commandment. Thou shalt defamiliarize. We need to get unfamiliar with these texts so that we can discover them anew, so that they can speak to us throughout time and eternity. And so it is with that in mind that I thought about this text, this this interesting text that actually doesn't talk about God. There, there's no overt um, reference to God in this text. So as we look at it, you know, I thought about it and I thought, well, where is God? What we do is we're able to find God in the deuterocanonical text, those additional texts, those texts that are not part of uh, the orthodox, well, the, my tradition, uh, that canon. And so I looked in the additional writings, and I found some interesting things. So let us talk about uh, Esther today um, and Mordecai from that, from, from that vein. There are two things that are important to remember that are common to Jewish theology. First is that everything that God does, God has the community in mind. What he does for the individual he has the family in mind. What he does for the family, he has the clan in mind, and so on and so forth. On to the nation and to the world. The second thing is, is that memory is important to Jewish theology. God is always telling his people to remember. Remember what I've done for you. Remember where I've brought you from. And it's with these things in mind, I want us to just kind of hold this and to be the sphere in which we approach this text. This text is interesting. We have King Xerxes I. This is about 100 years after the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, Xerxes is king. He has the queen, Vashti. They have a celebration. Everyone is enjoying themselves. He invites Vashti to then come in and be with him. We know that, you know, be with him to, to know her in, in the biblical sense. She refuses, and Xerxes says, we cannot have this. We can't have women being independent. Now, for those of you who got a chance to meet my little wife, you know that she... She would, she would have been, she would have been on, on a Vashti side. As a matter of fact, my wife is the reason why I'm here. She's in Indianapolis now. And she, uh, she said, I'm going to buy you a ticket and put you on a plane. You need to go to Boston so that you can be with your people. <laughs> she knows that I, uh, this place means so much to me. And that from, from, uh, from Ohio to Midland, Texas to Maryland, Trinity Episcopal Church is famous. I brag on you quite a bit. <laughs> but Vashti refuses. The king said, we can't have this. So he says, I've got to get me another wife, a wife that is going to show, you know, uh, how a wife should be. So he has essentially a beauty contest. Mordecai, uh, Esther's cousin, says, you should enter into the beauty contest. You're a beautiful woman. You might win, right? No one really knows what this is all about. We have no overt reference to God's will in this or God's providence. This is a text that invites us 
to discern God in the thin places of our lives. Esther becomes the queen. Five years later, uh, Haman and Mordecai are in conflict. More, uh, Haman uh, convinces the king to issue an edict. Why? Because Haman doesn't even know that Esther is Jewish. An edict to kill all of the Jews. His hate is so so voracious that it overwhelms him so much that he not only wants to kill Mordecai, he wants to kill all of the Jews, not knowing that Esther is Jewish. She then sends a messenger to her, to her cousin and says, excuse me, her cousin sends a messenger to her and says, look, there's a problem. Here's an edict that the king has issued. And understand this, just because you're in the king's palace, don't think that it won't happen to you. This is for all of the Jews. It is, it is in the extra-biblical text, Brother Barney, where we find the move of God. We're able to see the addition of 13 in chapters 14, 13 and 14, to see the move of God. We have the prayer of Mordecai. Mordecai says, you are the God of the universe. We, not, we know that you not only can, but we know that you will. But it is also an Esther's prayer that actually binds all of our readings together because Esther does something special. Esther takes ashes and puts them on her head. She actually, and because I'm a Baptist, you know, we have to read the text, so I'm going to use a word. I hope it's not offensive. But she actually takes dung and wipes it on her face. She's showing outwardly the suffering that is taking place in her. She tells God, God, I did not want to be the queen. I did not ask you to put me in this position. I abhor my place. I do not want this uncircumcised man touching me because we know that the Jews were circumcised and I do not want to eat his, his unkosher food. I've been suffering with this for five years. Five years. How many of us find ourselves in a place that may be uncomfortable? It may even be distasteful. And we are trying to discern the move of God. Where are you, God, in this? I think we all can identify with that challenge. And that is the challenge that Esther finds herself in. She says something at the end of 14 of the C edition that is very important. She says, I am going to go and talk to the king. I don't know what's going to happen. I ask you to give me eloquence of speech and to take the fear out of my heart. You know, suffering does something very important to us as humans. Immanuel Kant says that Suffering is the single, unique human experience that results in virtue. I believe Paul put it like this, that we rejoice in our suffering because suffering brings patience and patience perseverance and perseverance character and character promises that we will not be, excuse me, and character hope and hope promises that we will not be disappointed because through it, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It is the love that I received here at Trinity Episcopal Church, a community loving someone. We don't know what love does to a person, do we? 
We don't know how it can transform someone's life. And that's what I received here, and that's what my wife sent me back for. <laughs> I know that this is a tough text, because I'm talking about suffering. No one wants to suffer. We don't want to suffer, and we don't want our children to suffer. We don't even want to use that word, do we, Brother Barney? But it is central to our Christian theology. It is how we are able to truly discern the presence of God in our lives, to know that God really comes to us as Emmanuel, the God with us in the boat. He, too, is getting wet. He, too, hears the thunder. He, too, sees the lightning. He, too, is tossed to and fro. Yet he is with us. And it is in this that Esther's heart is encouraged. For in chapter 4, she says, If I must go and perish, I will perish. Because what has happened to me has transformed me. It has encouraged me. It has strengthened me. And yes, it has even wiped the fear from my heart. I had the opportunity last night to speak with a woman from Long Island, Janet from Long Island. We were talking at the hotel, and Janet was smoking a cigarette, and I was just sitting there talking to her. She, she told me about the 50 operations that she's had on her leg. She told me about the numerous losses that she's had. And she talked about the ministry that she founded at her church to people who were hurting and had experienced loss. Yes, yes, there is a role for suffering in our lives as the people of God. Because through it, we learn that not only he can, but we know that he will. We're able to look back and see what God has done. We're able to trust him in the future. It is in verse 4 that I want to leave you with something that I think is the most powerful thing about this text. In verse 4, when Mordecai is responding to Esther, Esther saying, I can't go to the king. The king hasn't even called me. He says something. He says, maybe it is for this time, for such a time as this, that you have been put into that position. And then he says a very interesting phrase that's translated in English, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We use who knows all the time. Who knows means whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean anything. But in this context, it means something more powerful. Who knows is an invitation into mystery. Who knows says we will launch out into the deep. Who knows says we know that God has brought us. Has anyone in here, has anyone in here in your life ever had something done for you that only God could do and you know that no human being could have done it? That's real. That's real. That God goes to Midland, Texas and gets a hog farmer's grandson and just gives him an opportunity to send me to fight Southern Baptists. Because I'm fighting them hard, y'all. <laughs> we duke it out every day. I show up and they do their Southern Baptist thing and I say, but if we really believe this book, and if you are really Baptist, because I'm challenging them saying, you Southern Baptists aren't even Baptists. You don't believe in soul freedom, Bible freedom, church freedom, or freedom from or of religion. You are pushing back against your own tradition. 
So they fight me, but they still keep inviting me back to the meet. So I show up. But who knows? Who knows in your time of suffering? Who knows? Who knows that I am willing to take a chance on God? But who knows has another side? Who knows is an invitation to God to meet us in that mystery and to give us an opportunity to watch God do in us, to us, through us, and on behalf of us what only God can do. Who knows is a great statement. Who knows? And it's what allows us at the end to rejoice with Esther and Mordecai and the whole victorious, victorious nation of Israel and say with them, he has turned our sorrow into gladness and our mourning into a holiday. Who knows? Is an invitation to all of us. Blessings and peace to each of you. Thank you so much for your kindness.